15 years ago, Oklahoma fielded a team very similar to this year's version of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Admittedly, the two teams don't have a ton of similarities in style, but they certainly resemble each other in the way they dominated their opponents. I was reminded of this while reading a new piece by Jason Kersey in The Athletic that gives an incredibly detailed oral history of that 2003 team. It is well worth your time and will fill you with equal parts nostalgia and disappointment. If you need a refresher, that team featured seven players who were All-Americans, a Heisman Trophy winner, the Lombardi Award winner, the Butkus winner, and the Thorpe Award winner. They also outscored their opponents by an average of 35.1 points per game, led all Power 5 teams in points per game, and finished a very close second in the country in defensive yards per play. The 2003 Oklahoma Sooners, quite frankly, were the best Oklahoma football team of all time and one of the best all-time period for the first 12 games of the season. We all know what happened later in the Big 12 title game against Darren Sproles and K-State, and also a month later in the national championship game against LSU. It was a stunning 180 for a team that had looked completely invincible. In Kersey's oral history, he details two psychological occurrences that the players, in retrospect, said may have caused the stunning collapse. The first was, ironically, the famous 77-0 beatdown of Texas A&M. That's when a lot of the best-of-all-time talk in the media started. Players like Kiwan Jones and Tommy Harris are quoted in the piece as saying they let the talk get to their heads, and they were reading their own press clippings. The second event that season was the departure of Mike Stoops, ironically again, as he took the head coaching job at Arizona. The most interesting thing that stood out to me was something Jason White and Teddy Lehman talk about in the piece. Before every game, the position coaches would quiz the players on what to do in different situations. Like, what happens when you see this front? What are your checks? It was basically a mental test to make sure you were prepared for everything they showed on film in the week leading up to the game. But before the Big 12 title game that season against Kansas State, White and Lehman explained that the defensive players were flunking their mental tests before the game. They were admittedly shocked that Mike Stoops was gone, and they concede that they never felt comfortable after he left. Now, the point of all this is not to torture OU fans or grasp at straws looking for any parallels to convince you that OU has a shot to upset Alabama on Saturday. The point is to shine a light on the fact that nothing is set in stone until all the cards have been played. College football is a game primarily played by 18 to 22-year-old kids, who are never guaranteed to have the same mental makeup from week to week. You never know how a kid will react to a stressful or strange situation. They're prone to mental letdowns, lapses in judgment, and also lapses in focus. Nothing is guaranteed until the job is done. Alabama will need to play very well to beat Oklahoma on Saturday. To do so, they will have had to prepare very well, physically and most importantly, mentally. None of that is a given. After all, the 2003 Oklahoma Sooners were perhaps the best team of all time. All the way up until the moment they weren't. Fifteen years later, will the shoe be on the other foot? Let's find out. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Knight wanting to go to the right side. Throws finally at the end, and it's a touchdown to Sterling Shepard. It looked like Joe Montana to Dwight Clark. What a throw as he extended the play, 
it's a nine-yard touchdown. The greatest game Trevor Knight ever played welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Knight's nine-yard touchdown pass to Sterling Shepard gave Oklahoma a 14-point lead in the Sugar Bowl over Alabama back on January the 2nd, 2014. The Sooners, of course, went on to beat Bama 45-31. Knight completed 32 of 44 passes for 348 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. And for all we hear about how mobile quarterbacks give Nick Saban and Alabama more problems than stationary quarterbacks, Knight wasn't a factor at all that night in the running game. Just five carries for seven yards. However, that touchdown pass to Shepard was possible because Knight's ability to roll away from pressure, keep his eyes downfield, and find Shepard in the end zone. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top with his opening take. This is it. The Orange Bowl preview show. You wanted to make sure this was as good of an episode as possible, so Grant and I pushed back the recording 24 hours because both of us were just slammed with post-Christmas work on Wednesday. Frankly, I wouldn't have had time to record the show anyways Wednesday night between the 6 o'clock and 10 o'clock newscasts over at News 9. So this recording here is early Thursday evening, and I think it's just better for everybody involved. We'll have more information, we'll be more prepared, and it'll probably be a little bit longer than it would have been otherwise. Here's the plan. We're going to first touch on the news of the week, things that we've learned since both teams arrived in South Florida early in the week. Then we'll go over all the aspects of this matchup that are important. If you've listened to the pod, you'll find the format pretty familiar. We'll begin with the matchup everybody is most looking forward to, which is Oklahoma's offense versus Alabama's defense. Then we'll flip it and talk about the other matchup. Then we'll get to special teams. And uh, let's be honest, special teams ended up being a pretty important aspect of the Rose Bowl a year ago. Georgia's special teams was better, and Georgia won the game. We've also got some comments, questions from Facebook that we'll sprinkle in throughout the discussion, all leading up to Grant and I telling you what we want to see happen and then what will happen in the Orange Bowl on Saturday. Let's get started. Grant, we're two days away from the playoff semifinals, and my first question to you is this. Compared to last year at this time, when Oklahoma was prepping to play Georgia in the Rose Bowl, which game do you have a better feel for at this time? Oh, the Rose Bowl, but by far. Um, I, I feel like that was um, – I, I did quite a bit more preparation work for that one. But, yeah, I, I think we had mentioned it too, um, you know, last year as well. But I, I, I watched so much Georgia, I kind of felt like I knew what plays they were going to run. Um, and also, I mean, if, if, if you want to go back and listen to, I, I pretty much nailed uh, the prediction on the Rose Bowl as well. Unfortunately, nailed the prediction on the Rose Bowl to a T. Um, so I, yeah, last year I thought it, it was pretty straightforward last year. Um, this year I, you know, I think, uh, on paper, I think we all kind of have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen, but that's why they play the games. And so, uh, I think this one is just, uh, to me is going to be a little more intriguing, but, uh, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Oh, he's a big underdog for a reason. As we've said over the last month, I had a better feel probably for the Rose bowl as well for the same reasons that uh, you provided it mostly stems from Georgia's offense and Alabama's offense last year versus this year and the same way Georgia's offense was just a lot more predictable a lot last year it was a very good offense don't get me wrong but it's just when you watched on tape you got the sense of you knew what they were trying to do and what they were going to run which made me think okay Oklahoma's going to know that too on the flip side Alabama you just don't know what they're going to do every single series. I mean, they have lots of different ways to stretch you and 
exploit your defense and they like to run the ball. They like to throw the ball. They can do so many different things. I just don't know what's going to happen on a play-to-play basis or series-to-series basis with Alabama, kind of like I did with Georgia. So with that being said, let's get to the news of the week. And I have a couple of bullet points here, Grant. Maybe there's some things that I haven't listed that, that you'll bring up, but we'll start with the biggest one, is, in my opinion, Marquise Brown. And we saw Marquise Brown at practice on Wednesday. At least we saw some videos of him. I know on Twitter, a lot of the beat reporters who are down in Miami already who are there were posting some videos of Marquise Brown practicing. And he was also at practice on Thursday, the day that we're recording this podcast. Oh, you practiced at 3.30. So Marquise Brown was seen at practice. He said also on Thursday during the Orange Bowl media day that he does anticipate to play in the game, but it's too early to say how healthy he'll be, just like from a percentage standpoint. So because of that, or not because of that, but just on the, the topic of Marquis Brown, Grant, it, it's nice to see that he was at practice on Wednesday and then Thursday. And I'll be honest, I, he, he didn't look like he was dead. So that was good. He was able to get out there and run around. And I was obviously warm-ups, and they weren't in full pads or anything like that. But he didn't look like he had, you know, a giant wrap on his left leg or his left ankle. I mean, he looked like he was, let's say, better than 50%. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I thought he looked okay. And, and I mean, you can go on Twitter and, and look at just little 30-second videos of seeing him warm up yesterday and maybe running some routes. Kind of looking like he's going at about 65 to 70% maybe. Um, <coughs> Lee, uh... Other videos came out today from today's practice. We're recording this on Thursday. He looked considerably more limited today in the videos that I saw, um, but also didn't really seem to be, you know, attempting to really test out that ankle or foot or what, whatever the injury is. We have no idea. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I, I think uh, I think after these last couple of days, I'm pretty, pretty comfortable in saying, I, I'm, you know, I think Marquise Brown is absolutely going to play in this game. I can't speculate on his effectiveness or how healthy he's going to be. I, I just I have no idea until we actually see it in a game situation. Yeah, and there's nobody that can comment on that aside from Marquise Brown, really, and, and, and maybe some of the offensive players. Yeah, and if you, I mean they're they're obviously trying to you know there's obviously some gamemanship going on. They asked Lincoln Riley today at availability, and he basically just said, "We'll see." I don't know. So, um, and you know that makes sense. There's there's just no logical reason for Lincoln Riley to come out and say, yeah, he's definitely going to play or not going to play. Um, you know, as long as you are not mandated to do that by the NCAA or by the Orange Bowl, there, there's just no reason why he should come out and do that. Um, but at the same time, I can't imagine that Alabama is like not preparing to play Marquise Brown. Obviously, best case scenario is that he's miraculously 100% and we get the Marquise Brown that we've seen sure, when he's I'm- 100%. Yeah, and the, like, the likelihood of that happening, though, it I, I think is pretty pretty low. I just I don't think it's gonna happen. So aside from that, and I want to get to this before I forget, maybe best case scenario in this game, I'd like to see. You know, maybe he, you know, he, he's not one hundred percent. We kind of know that. But what if they bring him in there and they have him in, and it gets to the point where Alabama starts to think, yeah, I mean, he's not what he normally is we we can kind of lax a little bit we're not afraid of him stretching the field and then maybe one or two plays he's actually got that a little extra burst and he can stretch the field and maybe go deep and potentially get an explosive play out of nowhere I think that might be the best case scenario where they kind of lull Alabama to sleep hopefully he's not too much of a um, 
a negative on the field if he's not 100%, but to the point where maybe he could surprise Bama and stretch the field once or twice. Yeah, or or like you said, or he's just made a miraculous recovery and he's, you know, he's his usual self. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not counting on that at all. I'm just, I, I think at this point, I'm just going to take whatever we can get from Marquise Brown. Um, I, I don't know. It's the, it's, after watching the SEC championship game this morning, Lee, I'm, I'm, like I told you kind of before you came, I'm, I'm considerably less optimistic about this game. So, um, interesting because yeah. I, uh, I'm the other way and we're going to talk about that SEC championship game that we have, teased on this show for the last couple of weeks we're gonna get to that in the next segment because yeah, gonna... i mean they they need they they need marquise brown 100 percent healthy so bad in this game um it's just if, if he is not if he's not his his usual effective self that's that's just a huge blow for ou yeah there's no doubt about that i mean it's if any team loses their number one wide receiver it's going to be a huge yeah, blow, I mean, he's, especially yeah, yeah he's the most explosive wide receiver in the country so Next piece of news, another player on Oklahoma's offense, Kyler Murray. There's a big hubbub on Wednesday about how he missed the media session because he was under the weather or ill, but he did practice, and then he appeared at media day on Thursday. So I'm sure Kyler Murray's fine. I will throw in a couple of Facebook questions now that go along with this topic, and we'll start with Dakota from Facebook. He says, if Kyler is sick, if OU gets in the playoff next year, how worried are you going to be about Oklahoma's quarterback getting sick? And then he also notes that, all right, he's not. This is not a serious question. LOL. Just uh, he wants to know how superstitious we are because obviously last year Baker Mayfield was under the weather, and now Kyler Murray with reports that he's sick. That is weird. I'll admit. I mean, I did not anticipate Kyler Murray being report. You know, missing a media thing because he's sick. But I heard him talk today at the media day on Thursday that you're required to go to. He didn't sound like Baker Mayfield sounded at media day last year where Mayfield could barely even talk. I I'm sure Kyler Murray is fine. And to answer your question, I'm not that superstitious. I used to be, but as I've gotten older, I've realized that superstitions are kind of dumb because you don't have any sort of control over something that you don't have control of. So I'm sorry to kind of throw cold water on superstitions because I'm not grant your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea. Is he sick? Is he not sick? I, I don't know. There seemed to be a lot of stuff on Twitter going around yesterday that, you know, kind of thinking this was a farce and there's no way he's sick. You know, unless you have inside information and you're not sharing it with us, I don't know how any of us are supposed to know that. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not particularly concerned about it. But um, it, it certainly did, you know, he, he didn't look extremely sick or anything like that, just like, you know, Baker certainly did last year. Um I don't know. I, I'm I, to answer your question. I'm not concerned about it. I, I think it's just a weird business, and I'm assuming after today that nobody will talk about it ever again because it was probably just a stupid. You know, it was a Wednesday thing where nothing was going on, and people needed something to talk about the day after Christmas. But how superstitious are you, though? Answer that part of the question. Uh, not as much as I used to be, but I still, you know, kind of am. And it's not like superstition is just it's it's just a weird, you know, human psychological phenomenon. It's you know. There's there, there's a little bit of a self obsession going on with it if if you really think about it, thinking that you actually have the power to, you know, to to determine mm. the outcome of something. But exactly right. There's yeah. A bit of a narcissism in there. Mm. And also, yeah. So I've, yeah. I I used to be really superstitious. I think instinctually I still am, but I think logically I think you're right about it 
And so that's always sort of in the back of my mind. And I, I usually try to remind myself of that because it just, it's, it's a lot easier on my brain. It's, it's, it's stressful to be superstitious. At the same time, I still do get people who are superstitious, especially athletes, because there probably is some sort of psychological advantage to thinking that this one thing maybe you do all the time makes you play better or act better. I, so I do understand it. So I get it. I'm not going to routine plays sit. a big part in that, too. Sure. You know, I was that's a good. When, yeah, it's a routine. When thing. I played base baseball, I had, you know, I had the exact same pregame routine for a decade almost. So and I, I guess you could sure. say I was superstitious about that, but it was, you know, it was a routine. Basically, when it comes to watching sporting events that I literally have zero control over. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly not superstitious at all when it comes to that stuff. Caleb has another question. He wanted to know if Kyler is really sick. And so there we basically just kind of answered that question for you, Caleb. But he had another part of his question. And we'll jump on this now because it's part of uh, the next part of news. He says, will the Alabama players that were suspended have any effect on the game? And so you probably already heard this if you're Oklahoma fans and you listen to this podcast. That means you're super into college football and OU. So I'm sure you already know that Bama suspended three players when they arrived or the news came out when they arrived in Miami on Monday. And one of the players is a starting left guard, Deontay Brown. The other two, a backup tight end and a backup offensive lineman. And when I say backup for the tight end, it's actually more of like a third string or four string tight end because uh, Hale Hinchis and Irv Smith, the two main tight ends, as far as I know, are playing and they're fine. So, and then a backup offensive lineman. But the, obviously the big name, Grant, is Deontay Brown, the starting left guard. And he's been dealing with a ankle injury, I believe. He did start in the SEC championship game. I did notice as I was watching that game, though, that he left the SEC title game in the second half. And I believe his name is Lester Cotton. The backup guard came in for him, who was a, a senior for Bama, and I believe was starting at the beginning of the year. But then Brown ended up taking his job from what I gather I could be wrong about that as far as just how the job maybe he took his job all I know is that Cotton had played a little bit this year and he came in for Deontay Brown in the SEC title game so I don't think this is like a situation where Alabama is losing a starting offensive lineman and they're plugging in a brand new player who's never played that position this year who has or who has played with Tua and the rest of the team so while this is somewhat somewhat interesting because you know you're losing a starting offensive lineman in a joe moore finalist line alabama is alabama and they're going to have the talent to fill in that spot especially where guard grant you famously like to say that guards one of the more uh um let's see overlooked not no not overlooked well in the Uh, nfl in the nfl it's the single least valuable position in all of football um when, that's what I was trying to get yeah, to. Yeah, and that's not it's not even close. That's that's absolutely the case. But um I in in college, I mean it's 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 probably a little more important in college because there's there's more of a talent gap. And so if a lot of the times if you don't have a good guard in college and you're going up against a good front, you know, front four, um, getting the pocket collapsed in, you know, on the interior is not a good thing. So Lee, do you want me to kinda like uh crimson colored glasses spin this right now? Sure, because my next thing was gonna be this probably doesn't matter that much either because Oklahoma's defense isn't very good. Mm-hmm. But sure, go ahead and spin it for me. So I was doing a little bit of recon, just kind of reading some some Alabama stuff. I know there was a uh, there's a pretty good write up from on SB Nation, the Oklahoma, the OU SB Nation site. They do like a Q and A with the Alabama site, and also listening to another Alabama podcast today. But they both sort of confirmed, you know, the same thing. They said that. Um, uh, Lester Cottonley was 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 the starter for pretty much the first half of the season, and then once they inserted the younger, more talented 
Deontay Brown. That's kind of when uh, their their run game sort of got a little more nasty. Both of them said, um, and so here's here's my spin of it. Maybe Lester Cotton is more of like a Jonathan Alvarez type, who is you know. I, I, I kind of feel like the you know OU's offensive line didn't really start gelling until Jonathan Alvarez was was replaced by Creed Humphrey. Um, maybe this is one of those situations. I highly doubt it. Um, Lester Cotton has. I, I think I heard on the podcast they said that Lester Cotton has started you know between twenty and thirty games of his in his career. So that's actually not too you know not not too dissimilar to Jonathan Alvarez who started every single game in twenty fifteen and you know started in a college football playoff game three years ago. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. That that's my spin of it. And, Interesting. And, and OU's best, you know, player on defense this year, Trey Brown, not with notwithstanding, and most consistent player, um, has been Neville Gallimore. So I I don't know. Maybe there's something there. But I, I well, doubt it. At, I, I doubt this makes that huge of a difference, but y- you never know, I guess. Sure. I think this is a pretty fair way to put it. And just watching that SEC title game, I was kind of looking out for Brown because I watched it obviously. Uh, I watched it Wednesday, Wednesday morning, and we knew that he was suspended. So I was curious to see what he looked like. And he is a mammoth of a human being, 6'4", 344. I mean, he's a road grading guard. And Lester Cotton is not any small fry. He's 6'4", 325. So Brown's got him by 20 pounds. So they're both huge. I kind of like looking at the size. But yeah, to me, Brown looked like the biggest, like thickest looking offensive lineman on Alabama. And he can't play, or he's not going to play. So I thought you sp- uh, spun it really well. That was good. And I like how you analogized it to Oklahoma because that helped me out to understand. Well, because, I mean, it does make a difference. The I think everyone concedes in the first three or four games of the season. While the offensive line was by no means bad, they, they looked a little off. They weren't as cohesive. And... Um, on you know on this podcast and and other places too, a lot of people were were kind of clamoring for Creed Humphrey to replace Jonathan Alvarez. He's just a lot better. He's just a lot better player, and that was the right move. So, and I think that's obviously paid off. Creed Humphrey has been just so unbelievably good this year. Yeah, he's lived up all the hype. I know you were big on Creed Humphrey, and a lot of others in the media were, and fans probably were. And I was still kind of skeptical. And uh, you all were proven correct. He's had a fantastic year. And I, what's the, the thing? Lincoln Riley's called him multiple times the best offensive lineman that he's seen or something like that. The most so, talented offensive lineman in the program, I think they said, yeah. So good on Creed Humphrey for obviously learning a heck of a lot, getting bigger last year in his redshirt season. And he has taken, his, taken the job and ran with it this year. And his very first year as a starter in college football, his offensive line won the Joe Moore Award. I'm really excited to see Creed Humphrey going against Quinn and Williams because it's going to happen quite a bit in this game. Yeah, it will. It will. And also, I just wanted to mention real quick that another Facebook question was from Philip, and Philip asked multiple questions. So I got them all listed here. But Philip, uh, you you wanted to know about the offensive line guy getting suspended. So uh, there you go. That's our that's our answer there. That's our thoughts on that. Because I had you kind of later in the show with more questions. So I just wanted to acknowledge that that question has been answered the, to the best of our abilities. Grant, let's move on to something we've teased on the podcast the past couple of weeks. And that is our close rewatch of the SEC title game between Alabama and Georgia. Let's be honest. The most important part about that game was seeing Georgia's offense against Alabama's defense because the Bulldogs presented the most difficult challenge of the season up to that point for the Crimson Tide. The other matchup, Georgia's defense versus Bama's offense, wasn't as important because we know Oklahoma's defense isn't in the same stratosphere as Georgia as far as I'm concerned. 
So there wasn't much to take from a close rewatch on that side of the ball, in my opinion. So without further ado, we're going to give our thoughts on that game in just a general fashion. And then as we dive more into the matchup of Oklahoma's offense versus Bama's defense, we'll likely take examples from the SEC title to explain away our opinions. So Grant, I'm going to go first with what I saw in the SEC title game. In general, I came away from that game quite encouraged by what I saw from Georgia's offense against Alabama's defense. I thought the Bulldogs should have won that football game and a mixture of Georgia going away from what worked and Alabama playing better in the second half led to the Crimson Tide coming back and winning the game by a touchdown. Georgia's offense was very good for the first eight possessions of the game and downright bad on its final five possessions. Georgia averaged six and a half yards per play, scored 28 points, and missed a field goal in its first eight possessions. In the Dogs' final five possessions, they averaged 3.9 yards per play, scored zero points, punted three times, and turned it over on downs after a dreadful fake punt decision. As we go on to talk about the Orange Bowl matchup, I'll bring up some things that I saw from Georgia's offense that I think Oklahoma can replicate. But again, in general, I liked how Georgia's offensive line was able to control the line of scrimmage for the majority of the game. Georgia didn't gash Alabama by any means. The dogs, though, consistently picked up two yards, three yards, five yards, and then maybe popped off a big play here and there. Georgia just was never behind the chains. Playing off of that, Jake Fromm was just fantastic for most of the game before he struggled late. He's making NFL throw after NFL throw in that one. Very impressive. Two of his touchdown passes were elite-level NFL throws. One to the tight end down the seam, the other to a Riley Ridley on a perfect man coverage beater. It was good to see the Alabama's defensive line finally not dominate an opposing offensive line. Quinnen Williams sacked Fromm on the first series of the game, and Fromm didn't get sacked again until Georgia's final desperation drive in the fourth quarter. By the way, Georgia was starting a true freshman at right guard. It wasn't his first start, but on the broadcast, Gary Danielson said that Georgia was down to its number four guard. So take that for what it's worth. In general, once again, I came away encouraged by what I saw in the SEC title, and I'll expand more on that as we continue on the show. So Grant, what did you see? All right. So um, like I just said, five, 10 minutes ago, I came away from it much less optimistic about the Orange Bowl after. And Lee, here's why. Um, so I'll start with Georgia's offense against Alabama's defense. Lee, I, to me, it just looked like Georgia just played out of their minds. Uh, it was the the windows that Fromm was throwing into. It's a, that's not that's not something that's very replicable, in my opinion. Uh, to me, it just it just was Georgia going out there and just playing really well. There really were he was fitting the ball into small windows. Um, you know, that, 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 that doesn't mean that um, I didn't see things in there that I think OU can exploit. I, di- I did see stuff. Um, I, I sort of slightly confirmed my thought about their linebackers. I think they're probably very vulnerable in coverage. There are times where Georgia had some success running crossing routes against man coverage. Um, I thought there were times where they, they did a good job of isolating Isaac Nada on both of their inside linebackers, Mac Wilson and Dylan Moses, and he was able to beat them, something that I think Grant Calcaterra and Lee Morris are going to be capable of doing. Lee, where I was where I was really discouraged was I thought Alabama's corners were awesome against Georgia's receivers. It didn't necessarily matter because Fromm was so good, but I those those were really small windows he was fitting it in. And there's just I 
and, and I know Kyler Murray is is maybe the best thrower of the football in the country. I just, you know, Georgia's receivers I, I are a lot bigger than Oklahoma's when you when you remove C.D. Lamb, especially on the outside. I just I I thought Georgia Lee just played really well, and that 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 mostly was it. Like I, and they only scored twenty eight points. Well, they should have scored thirty one. They missed a pretty easy field goal by usually reliable Blankenship, and then their offense just kind of went away from the principles that they were utilizing for most of the game late in the game. And here's my counteraction to uh, the corners and the throws. Why was Fromm able to make those throws? A lot of the throws were of the back shoulder variety, which are just timing throws. And the reason why he's able to make those is because he knows Alabama plays a lot of press man coverage and the backs are going to be turned. The corners backs are going to be turned. So all it is is just being on the same page as your receiver and knowing, hey, after seven, eight, nine yards, the timing route, you turn around, the ball's going to be right there, man. That defensive back's not looking, so they're not going to be able to anticipate the timing of it. And that's why he was able to be successful on some throws. There was a couple where uh, some very nicely timed slant routes where they were able to get a linebacker going to the flats. The slant deep post opened up the window and Fromm hit. Uh, he had a great blitz beater when he hit Nada, who did another post in the middle of the field that I think was on the drive where they ended up missing that field goal. Um, but these are throws that Kyler Murray is more than capable of making, and he's made multiple times this season. Uh, that's that's why, and, and also too, and I'll get more into it, there, there are ways that Georgia created space and openings for their wide receivers and made it to where Jake Fromm had easier throws to make to open receivers. So uh, while Georgia did play very well, and obviously Jake Fromm was fantastic up until the end of the game, a lot of it too is, I mean, they were able to run the ball decent against Alabama. Nobody's ever going to run the ball really well against Alabama, but they were able to break off a couple of explosive runs. And I thought Georgia just kind of did whatever it wanted to for two and a half quarters for the most part. And um, I'm kind of interested. Uh, I mean, I get where you're coming from. Don't get me wrong, because Georgia did play very well. But I think it's what Georgia did is something that Oklahoma certainly can do as well. Yeah, and Oklahoma's I think offense is better than Georgia's. And, and it is. That, 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 that's why it made me pretty uh, – that's why I was more encouraged from this game than any other games I've seen because usually you come off – I've come out of watching these Bama games and just the defensive line just dominates and the quarterback has no chance – and it's over. And that wasn't the case at all with Georgia. I guess, yeah. I, where I'm concerned is I, I didn't I didn't really see anything that Georgia schemed to get like anybody running free or anything like that. I don't I don't recall any Georgia receivers being wide open in the game. Well, I got all. a couple for you that I saw on tape that I will break down for you. Okay. Um, I guess off the top of my head, do you you know the uh, the touchdown that um, What's his name? That Swift scored out of the backfield. He caught the pass. I think it was went for uh, mm-hmm. as their second touchdown. That's the exact same play that Michelle scored on in the Rose Bowl last year for Georgia's first touchdown. Did you notice that? I mean, there you go. That's a that's a great. I mean, that's great play design right there. Yeah, that's good play design. It was, um, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll let you break it down, but um, no. I guess what what I'm what I was concerned about Lee is that Georgia played so incredibly well and only scored twenty eight points. Um, and, and I just I don't think Alabama played poorly at all. I think that and I think they can play better. Um, so yeah, I guess you know. Hey, this is I I, I think Oklahoma's offense is going to have success in this game. Don't take this as I'm I'm scared of Alabama's defense because I'm not. It's just you know there's they definitely showed that it's 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 going to be 
they're going to make it pretty tough on OU. Um, having that been said, you know, if, if Alabama comes out and is playing straight man coverage, that's probably going to be a problem for them. They probably should not do that. Um, cause I, cause I think that's, that's when their linebackers would, would probably get abused over the middle of the field. Um, but I don't know. I, I mostly came away lead from from the SEC championship game just being really impressed with Jake Fromm mostly. I, I thought that was yeah, he's that gotten was a just, lot better. That he? was just Jake he, Fromm's game. That wasn't the same Jake Fromm that we saw in the Rose Bowl last year, was it? I mean that. No, I mean that Jake yeah, Fromm was I mean, in control. He's, he's not the same. He looked a year older. I definitely saw the flashes that I saw leading up to the Rose Bowl last year. I mean, in the Rose Bowl, he, I mean, there was five different throws on third down in the Rose Bowl where he just skipped and missed. Yeah, he and wasn't. Gave he, Oklahoma chances. He wasn't doing that against He Bama. wasn't great. He wasn't great. But, you know, he. And he, he was locking on to guys against uh, OU. And, I mean, he did that. A couple, couple plays he knew exactly what he wanted to do with the snap, and it worked out for him. But, I mean, he, so, he's a good player. Uh, let, me, let me bring up uh, some other things that, that did encourage me. There were times, Lee, where Georgia was able to uh, get into the right run call and get a numbers advantage and kind of collapse the edge of Alabama's defense and gain the edge, um, which is something that OU does with regularity. So I'm glad that I saw that. Um, and also, too, in, in the middle, you know, in the middle of the offensive line, Georgia really held their own. Um, Quinn and Williams, of course, made some plays like he's apt to do. He's the best defensive lineman in the country. But for the most part, Georgia was, you know, really was able to pick up. You know, even when they weren't gashing Alabama, they were still able to pick up, you know, two or three yards, it seemed like, every single carry. So, you know, that's 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 a little encouraging. You know, Oklahoma, I think, has a has a completely different blocking scheme than Georgia does, so it's, it's going to be a tad different. But, um, sure, I, I'm not going to say there's uh, – where I'm most concerned, Lee, is w- was watching Georgia's defense against Alabama. This is where I – and I, I understand what you're saying about how this doesn't really matter because OU's defense is so bad, um, but – this is the difference in the game. If OU is going to win the Orange Bowl, their defense is going to have to make some plays. So, um, well, I, I don't know if you want to move on to that yet or if you want to stay on Georgia's offense. Well, no, I mean, we have this entire – well, no, okay. So, if, if you got more thoughts on the SEC title game, hit on them as we get through these questions because now we're going to okay. get to the point. We're going to talk about the OU offense – against the Alabama defense and as we go through all the questions that we normally go through then you'll be able to throw in some examples and that's where I have some examples from this SEC title game that I'll bring up at it whenever it makes sense during our discussion so the first part or the first topic I want to get on is running the football and Georgia is a great running football team but statistically Oklahoma has ran the ball better than Georgia this year Georgia, as we've mentioned, didn't gash Bama on the ground. Georgia averaged 3.9 yards per carry. But Alabama also didn't stuff Georgia at all in that game. So my question to you, Grant, and let me know if you want me to answer this first or if you want to go first. Will Oklahoma run the football in this game? And if so, how are they going to do it? See, this is the thing that I I, I really just kind of disagree with the national consensus. I I absolutely think OU can run the ball in this game. Um, This isn't, you know, this isn't Mississippi State. This is this is the most athletic offensive line in the country, and they're and with two really good backs, and not to mention Kyler Murray, probably the most explosive player in college football, behind center. OU is going to be able to run the ball. They're going to be able to manufacture runs in this game. Whether or not that's that's Trey Sermon um, finally being fully healthy and being able to you know fall forward and gain four or five yards of carry, hopefully, or whether or not that's that's Kennedy Brooks being able to break off chunk plays. Lee, this is going to be Kyler Murray's game running the ball. I, I just he's. 
<laughs> he's he's going to run for some yards in this game, and I think that's really going to keep Alabama honest and is probably going to open up some other things. So no, I I just. There's a there's kind of a national consensus forming that OU is just not going to be able to run the ball at all. Like this isn't the best rushing offense in the country. So I just I completely reject that notion. Well, my answer to the question is that Oklahoma is going to sometimes be able to run the ball, which is you know better results than most teams. And there's going to be plays where Oklahoma's offensive line gets a nice push and Sermon and Brooks pick up yards and keep Oklahoma on schedule. I think there's no question about that. Now, will those backs be able to break off explosive run plays like we've seen for most of the season? I say probably not because Alabama is really fast on defense. And more importantly, their second and third level players are just great tacklers. They're much better than what Oklahoma sees in the Big 12. So even if Sermon and Brooks break past that that uh, that first level of the defense, get into the second level and the third level, you're always going to see a safety or even a cornerback get into the picture rather quickly and make an open field tackle. And so, I mean, that's, again, sometimes I, I'll, I'll give you this from the SEC title game. So my first SEC title game example, this is a positive note. I saw one play in that game where DeAndre Swift managed an explosive run play on just a, a simple design. Bama was in nickel, which is what Bama played the majority of the football game. Georgia was in a three-by-one set with trips to the field side, and the give was to Swift to the boundary, which is the weak side of the formation. The Bama edge player was too far inside, which allowed the Georgia right tackle to get a hit on that guy and then release into the second level to block that linebacker. The single receiver on that side of the formation on the boundary side ran a go route against man coverage, which Alabama runs quite a bit. The cornerback turned his back to play the receiver on the pass, and that cleared him out of the play, which allowed Swift the entire sideline to get 20-plus yards. And additionally, I did notice Georgia using motion and then slants to wash cornerbacks out of the area where the play was designed to go on a run play. And so these are things that Oklahoma is likely going to attempt to do as well because Alabama likes to, again, play a lot of that man coverage. Um, now, you mentioned Kyler Murray, Grant. That's obviously the wild card in this game. The best running back, the best running back, the best running quarterback in college football also happens to be the best throwing quarterback in college football this past season. You know, Alabama's defense is always in an aggressive mode. They're confident in their front four. Bama rarely blitzes, actually. You know, they'll, they'll pick their spots. Uh, and that's probably because they know they can get pressure with those four rushers, which allows seven players to come up and run support or play against the pass when necessary. It's an incredible advantage, especially when those four rushers are likely going to get to the quarterback in a max of three seconds. What offenses seemingly cannot do against Alabama, Grant, from what I've seen and probably from what you've seen, is that it can't really use Bama's aggressiveness against them. I thought Georgia was able to do that multiple times in that game and one was on that above run play the the run play I, it, not not above I, I say above because I have a, this notes this list so it's above in my notes but the aforementioned run play that I described with DeAndre Swift also crossing routes against man coverage uh, and also from and this goes back to those back shoulder throws just he timed them up and he knew that Bama's cornerbacks would have their backs turned quite a bit of the time and uh, you know that was something that could that was effective for Georgia. One thing, though, Grant, that Georgia could not use was the quarterback run game. And because of that, Alabama would always be able to find a way to essentially play 11 on 10 because they're not afraid of Fromm's legs. 
there was one play you probably remember that from kept the ball in a zone read got about five yards but that was the only time that from did anything like that I'm almost done so with Murray obviously Nick Saban is going to have to respect the run game now the question is will Saban elect to play Oklahoma the way that Saban plays most of these offenses he sees so just basically straight up or will Alabama use a spy and if so, who's going to spy Kyler Murray? I mean, these are questions that I don't know the answer to. What I do have, though, is a play from the Bama-Georgia game that would be perfect for Oklahoma's offense if Alabama continues to utilize a lot of its same principles against Oklahoma. Here's the play. Third and five for Georgia. It was a two-by-two set. The Georgia, uh, Georgia had their running back in the backfield along with Jake Fromm in 11 personnel. Bama was in their dime package. Again, it was third and five. Bama likes to use dime on third down. Now, here's the key. Mac Wilson, the linebacker, he's the only linebacker on the field in the box along with the front four, the rushers. So it was essentially five on five blocking if Fromm wanted to give it off to the running back. Now, for the Sooners, this would be a perfect situation for a design quarterback run play that gets the running back out as an extra blocker as well to create a six on five advantage. This is something that Georgia couldn't do, but Oklahoma definitely can do. And we've seen Oklahoma do that this year on design quarterback runs with Kyler Murray use, utilizing a running back as an extra blocker. You know, And on this play, by the way, Georgia didn't even run the ball. Fromm threw a great back shoulder throw for the first down. But the main takeaway is that can OU make Alabama uncomfortable when Bama is in its dime package by spreading everybody out and creating doubt about whether or not Murray will throw or whether Murray will run. So that's another part of that game from Georgia and Alabama that I saw that I thought, I like that. I like seeing that. I can see Oklahoma exploiting that. Grant, anything to add? Well, also, I I don't know if you noticed this too, Lee, and I kind of feared this would be the case, but Georgia honestly was the very first team that Alabama played this year that was even remotely capable of taking advantage of any perceived weakness on Alabama's defense. Um, they they just they frankly just haven't played a team talented enough to do so. Yeah. Um, so I mean that's I guess that that's another thing to maybe point towards and and, and sort of be hopeful about um, this. I to to some to some of the SEC people listening to this show right now. Um, Oklahoma's offense is considerably better than Georgia's, like by, by a lot. Um, so it's it, this is this is going to be a a really unique challenge for Alabama, and, and OU is going to is, is going to have a lot of success at times in this game. Um, so don't be what surprised Georgia, when it happens. What Georgia has that Oklahoma does not have is blue, like big time blue chippers at running back, multiple blue chip running backs, and more kind of blue chip wide receivers that are contributing that's the only difference uh offensive line Oklahoma elite quarterback obviously elite. it's just that's the that, that's why Georgia I mean Georgia's offense is very good but that's why Georgia can can get away with with not as much spread high-flying principles it's more of like still like kind of an old school mentality where they run a lot of tight formations and try to you know they want to run the football. I mean Georgia's offense to me it looked it looked very similar to what it looked like in the Rose Bowl. It looked it a little more dynamic. Looked very very similar to me. I, in in terms of scheme and, and it helps that Fromm has gotten a lot better too. Obviously, yeah. In, in terms of scheme and how this and how everything is just is you know and, and philosophy. I mean this is this is not a slight. I mean this is it's it's like JV to varsity. I mean that's what this is like. O, OU is going to is going to present a lot more mental challenges uh, for Alabama. 
And I'm curious to see how often Oklahoma tries to utilize motion because we saw Oklahoma utilize a lot of a motion lot. against Georgia last a lot. year. A lot. And Georgia, I mean, here, at, I mean, it's not like Georgia is, is standstill, but I mean, Georgia motions quite a bit, but not as much as you'd like to see. And a lot of it seems to be that motion is used to try to get Alabama to maybe switch up their coverage or change their coverage and then try to attack that some little like a second of confusion there. So Oklahoma was able to do that a lot against Georgia. We'll see what happens against Alabama. I'm incredibly curious to see that because maybe Oklahoma can see that, okay, if we set this formation this way, if we run this dude in motion, we know that Alabama is going to check their coverage to this, which is exactly what we want them to do because we're going to do this on the snap. I mean, that's kind of things that you don't see teams do a whole lot against Alabama to try to, to maybe get Alabama to check into a defense that maybe is not the best against what play is upcoming. So I mean, that's what you got to do against Nick Saban because he's so darn smart and that defense is so good. You got to try to find ways to to quickly or just briefly confuse those players because they always seem to be in the right position. We'll talk about the passing game, Grant. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, Marquise Brown's status makes this difficult to dissect. No question. So what can Oklahoma do to work around a hobbled Marquise Brown? Uh I'll just I'll open this up to just thoughts on the passing game in general. Since I talked for about five minutes a moment ago, I'll open up the floor to you to go first. But I, I do have some more notes on this uh, as well and, and some more examples from the SEC title game that, that I'll bring out that even with a hobble Marquise Brown, perhaps Oklahoma will find ways to move the football. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you've been listening to this podcast the last month, you know my thoughts on this. Um, where OU is going to better or butter their bread in this game, so to say, it's going to be over the middle of the field with Grant Calcaterra and Lee Morris. That's where it needs to be if if Marquise Brown is not 100% healthy. Um, because I, I, you know, you know Nick Saban, what he's going to do, Lee, he's going to try to take away your number one weapon. Um, and if if Marquise Brown is hobbled in this game and doesn't play a lot of snaps, I there's going to be a lot of attention paid to CD Lamb in all likelihood. So um, that's where Grant Calcaterra and Lee Morris working over the middle against those linebackers is potentially going to be a big deal. And, and I think I think that's kind of where it's going to be. And other than that, Lee, it, it really is probably going to have to be Kylo Murray beating man coverage, throwing in tight windows, just like we saw with Jake Fromm. Can he do it? Yes. Um, you know, I'm I, I'm a little more skeptical. I think, you know, I, I, I would take C.D. Lamb probably over any Georgia receiver, but after that, you know, Hollywood as well, but after that, you know, I... Georgia's got a really deep and talented receiving core and you know they made a lot of really nice plays against Alabama and I just I, I don't know if Lee Morris can do that I don't know if Charleston Rambo can do that um and so on and so forth so um we'll see I don't know. I mean this, this this is a Kyler Murray game it's it's gonna have to be Kyler just basically playing out of his mind yeah and you're right I mean they're gonna have to find ways they're going to uh, by they I mean Kyler Murray is going to have to make those those good man coverage throws those back shoulder throws because Bama likes to play that press you got a a lot of crossing routes and Kyler Murray's got to be able to recognize which crossing routes are his best read because I've I saw in the even in the Georgia game I saw in the Missouri game I mean sometimes when they do run crossing routes the quarterback does not make the right read and goes to the wrong guy where on the other side of the field a different crosser is wide open and there's a huge play there waiting and that they don't they don't hit um, and also too, Alabama, they know that crossing routes can beat man coverage. So a lot of the time, that's why they like to bring in, bring down a safety into the box as like a, a robber and a robber technique to read the quarterback's eyes to try to take away some of those crossing routes. So that's something to always be isn't mindful that, of too. Isn't that Shaheem Car- Carter is their, is their robber guy? He's kind well, of their, he's their nickelback. 
Well, yeah, he's, he's well, yeah, he's there. He's he's playing the Minka Fitzpatrick role. I see. I'm not familiar with what Minka Fitzpatrick really did. So, I mean, I to me, De- Deontay Thompson seems to be their their robber guy a lot of the time. I thought he's just their deep. I mean, he's their deep safety. He was. I mean, they. He 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 was. They were interviewing today him today during media day, and he was talking about how he just how he plays deep center field. Yeah, he does that. He does the other thing too. I mean, from what I've seen from Carter, Carter's a nickelback. He's really good. I mean, he's basically that's there what, to either that's, play that's man on man. What, that's basically what Mika Fitzpatrick played. Okay. I mean, he basically plays man or he helps against the run. I mean, he he's not really much of a, from what I can tell, because he's always lined up near the line of scrimmage, and normally you see guys like that as like a robber technique, more like a, a safety position. But um, all right, so remember, like, Grant, you remember, like, a few weeks ago, whenever we first started talking about Bama and OU, I said something like, I wonder if there's somebody out there that's a lot smarter than me that can watch enough Bama film to kind of predict what coverages are going to be running in certain situations. Well, I think I've determined what you're going to see from Bama coverage-wise in the secondary. I think you're going to see press man cover one or press cover three, which both of those coverages actually look pretty much the same the way Alabama plays it. Uh, Pre-snap, though, you get almost always a two deep safety look then near the snap they'll roll one of their safeties down and run support or as a robber the aforementioned robber or sometimes those safeties will stay deep and Bamba will play two man and Jake Fromm's first touchdown pass of the game in the SEC title game was against two man it was a two man beater as he placed the ball perfectly down the seam to his tight end against a trailing technique linebacker and the ball was thrown early enough so that the tight end could catch it with a second and a half before he got hit by the safety uh, and it was just a great play all the way around. So uh, if I've seen those tendencies on tape, there's no question that Lincoln Riley and Cale Gundy and the rest of the offensive coaching staff and hopefully the players has seen this as well. So, Grant, I think I've identified a slight weakness in Alabama's defense that few teams have been able to exploit or have even tried. And George is one of those teams who could exploit this weakness. But over the span of the entire game, I only saw the dogs try this twice. And I'm speaking of spreading Alabama's defense out to the very max. Just empty set, five wide. And here's what happened both times Georgia did this to Bama. Number one, after a 19-yard gain on a nice slant pass from, to I believe it might have been Ridley or Hardman, doesn't matter, Georgia goes a little, little tempo just so Bama can't really sub, and they go to an empty set, three by two, against Bama's nickel package. The spread formation results in Jack linebacker Anthony Jennings playing man coverage in the inside slot against Terry Godwin, one of Georgia's really good wide receivers. Fromm sees this, and Godwin runs a perfect option route where he kind of fakes inside, or no, fakes outside, and then runs the Texas route inside, and Fromm has an easy catch, or easy pitch and catch to one of his best receivers against the linebacker, and if it's not for Savion Smith, the cornerback, recognizing this and coming off his man and making a a phenomenal tackle, that goes for a huge explosive play up the sideline. So that was one situation where it could have been a massive play, but Savion Smith made a great tackle, and the other time that Georgia did this, it was in the third quarter, it was first and 10 from the Alabama 23. Georgia started with a two-by-two two set, but Nicole Hardman lined up in the backfield, and they motioned Hardman from the backfield to the boundary side to create trips in the slot. Now, I noticed that Fromm, he knew what he wanted to do with this ball the whole entire way, and that's throw it to Riley Ridley 
on the far side of the field against Savion Smith, and he did. He threw a perfect ball. It was the touchdown pass to Ridley, the tight coverage, just a perfect throw, drops it into the bucket. But here's the thing. <clears throat> excuse me. Here's the thing, though. I think Fromm could have made life a lot more easy on himself if he would have just thrown the ball to Mecole Hardman, who motioned from the backfield to the slot, because Hardman was running a skinny post in the middle of the field. And remember, again, like I said, he motioned to the inside slot in the trip side. He was matched up one-on-one -on -one with Mac Wilson, the linebacker, and Wilson had no shot. Hardman had him beat in the middle of the field against two high safeties, and Hardman would have split the safeties and scored a touchdown. So it could have been a touchdown there. And also, as I watched back the all-22 of that play, the free safety on that play was Deontay Thompson. And he was actually, he, he kind of noticed that Hardman was running that skinny post. So he was moving over to try and cover Hardman on that post. I still think, though, that Fromm would have had a pretty easy completion to Hardman. The question would have been, though, would have Thompson gotten there in time to make a touchdown saving tackle? Either way, it would have been an explosive play down inside the five yard line. I bring this all up, though, because Fromm had his backup tight end, who was the middle guy in the trip set lined up against a linebacker as well. So with with Deontay Thompson moving over to try to help out against Nicole Hardman in the skinny post, that backup tight end, the middle guy in the trips, ran a go, and he was wide open. That would have been an easy touchdown pass as well. So Georgia, I, I think, was basically giving Oklahoma – a blueprint to have success against Alabama when you go to an empty set, spreading out that nickel defense, and you throw in the fact that Kyler Murray has legs and can run, there's a lot of things that Oklahoma could probably do. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the point of all this to me is that Oklahoma is going to try its best to get its skill players lined up on linebackers. Will Alabama play more zone because of this, because they, they anticipate Oklahoma trying to do this? I don't know. Uh, I mean, Saban, obviously, he's a great coach. He's great at in-game adjustments. It, this, this whole matchup here, I'm super intrigued to see how this plays out because only two times in this game, Georgia got a linebacker matched up with one of their receivers, and both times a good play happened, and they, they kind of went away from it. And I don't know why they went away from it, Grant, so I was pretty encouraged to see that. I don't know. Ask Georgia fans. They'll probably blame Jim Chaney. I think Georgia fans hate Jim Chaney. Just saying. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I've heard that too. I mean, you, you told me that at the Rose Bowl, those fans were kind of yeah, all the fans kind of down were, on him. Yeah, they they were not happy with Jim Chaney. Um, yeah, Lee. I mean, yeah. I, I I think you're. I like I said, my my biggest concern in this game is is not OU's offense against Alabama's defense, which you know is ironic, but that that is. And and I like I I understand people have been saying that it's going to be OU's offense that decides this game. I just I completely disagree. O OU's defense is going to have to is. is 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 going to have to win this game for OU. Like I mean, I just that I, I feel like that's obvious. It's the weak link. That, that's they're going to have to play out of their minds and better than what they've shown so far this year. Any other concerns about Alabama's defense that we haven't hit on? I mean, obviously the the defensive line's great. I mean, the secondary is yeah, great. My, my concerns with Alabama's defense are that they're just incredibly talented. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same with it, it's it's honestly it's the same when and it's you know. Obviously, this is these are different levels of, of quality of defense, but it was my same concern going against Texas, which, you know, when they're talented players make talented plays, is that going to be enough to break serve? Well, Alabama has more talented players than Texas, and they have better coached players than Texas because they're in the Nick Saban system. Um, you know, general yeah. wisdom suggests that that's going to be enough to break serve a couple times probably more than that so and of course all this is speculation we'll have to wait and see what happens you, you never know Lincoln Riley may have found 
you know, just some glaring weakness that he's going to be able to go to just over and over again over the course of the game. Of course, that's just, you know, that sounds amazing. That's a pipe dream. But we'll see. I mean, this is this I, this game's very straightforward in my mind. A big picture thing that I'm concerned about is, okay, let's say Oklahoma comes out and you know that Lincoln Riley has been game planning and he figures it out and it looks kind of similar to the Rose Bowl where they're moving the ball pretty well. And then... Of course, remember back to the second half of the Rose Bowl that Georgia just decided Kirby Smart was like, you know what? Press man, single high safety. Let's make these receivers and everybody beat us. And can't do Oklahoma that against didn't, Kyler Murray. Didn't, that's the thing. I'm, I'm curious to see because against Kyler Murray, he's that's going to open up more running lanes for him if that's what Alabama wants to do, if they're in a situation where they want to go to single high safety man coverage. So if Oklahoma comes out and looks like they have a great game plan and, and given Saban and that defense fits and Saban's got to try to make some sort of adjustment, I just – I mean, that's kind of like the go-to adjustment, I think, for really aggressive, smart defensive coordinators. Not just smart, but just good defensive coordinators when you have good players. Like, you know what? You got a man, cover your man, put a safety back there to play center field and just see what happens. Throw the ball out there and let's play. If that's not the greatest – adjustment for Alabama if it comes to that I'm curious to see what the adjustment would be and how Oklahoma would counteract that so that's kind of like a more big picture just X's and O's uh, Saban versus Riley thing that uh, could be fun to watch and if it matters to anybody I think I think Georgia's secondary last year is, is better than Alabama's secondary this year yeah I don't know about that I'd well, say just if anything, my opinion. it's just it's a wash I think I, I think we've I think we saw this year I mean Georgia returned everybody from their secondary last year and they um, as we'll talk about here, Georgia had has a special secondary. So you know, I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, but I mean, it's just it's it's hard to really tell either way because none of these teams ever faced offenses in the SEC that can really challenge them. So and and that was the first time Georgia faced a, a offense that could challenge them. And in the first half, uh, Oklahoma just shredded that defense. But then in the second half, obviously Georgia was able to to adjust and they played a lot better coverage. So I, I think I think both. Both have incredible secondaries, and I, I don't, I never, I oh, never yeah, that's watched not Georgia's say. secondary and thought, man, that's a really darn good secondary. Uh, I think it's a, I, I, I watch Alabama's secondary, and I think, man, those guys are really good. Yeah, so I agree. I, no, that's not that's not a rip on Alabama. I'm just saying, I just think Georgia's last year was better. Is all. That's all. Right. all. Any other thoughts on this matchup that uh, we haven't hit on yet that you want to bring up? Because I think I'm I'm cashed on this one. No, I'm good. I just I. They, I, I really wish Rodney Anderson was healthy. Is all. Rodney Anderson and Marquise Brown. Well, yeah, sure. but I, I'd rather, I'd honest, I'd rather have Rodney healthy. Hmm. All right, Oklahoma defense, Alabama offense. Let's be real. This is actually the real matchup people want to watch. No, no, it's not. Uh, this is a weird one for us to tackle. Uh, it's gonna revolve around the quarterbacks a lot. So we'll start with Tua. So on Wednesday, Tua said that he's eighty to eighty-five percent. And he also, I guess, said that he's not going to be 100% for game day. Question to you, Grant. Do you believe him? I don't, actually. I don't either. I think he's very I think he's close gonna to be 100%. Just yeah. I mean, maybe he's being truthful and he's actually he's not going to be 100%, but he's going to be 999 Well, how about this? How about this? Well, let's, let's actually bring some real evidence into this. So, uh, Jalen Hurts did earlier in the season, we have the same surgery that Tua did. And from what I understand, it's literally like they go in and they like, um, and I think they said this on the Sooner Scoop podcast. I think this is where I heard this. I think they literally go in and they zip tie like the tendon to the bone or something like that. 
Um, but anywho, it, they they said that even after Jalen Hurts did that, and I think I saw this on a on an Alabama message board, they were saying that you know for about a month and a half after that surgery, Jalen Hurts was hobbled. It, like he wasn't healthy until the SEC championship game. So, does that matter? Maybe. I don't know. So he, mm, you never right. know. He he could be telling the truth. I. This is just me speculating, and just when I watched the clip, it, it seemed to me like he was doing a little bit of acting. That's just me, though. So, let's just take him at his word. If two is truly less than 100%, does that make him more of the quarterback that we saw in the SEC title game, where he held the fo- uh, the football too long and wasn't very sharp with his throws? I mean, is, is there any chance that... He was going to be more like that guy than the guy that we saw for the vast majority of the season. I will say this, Lee. If, if the Tua from the SEC Championship game shows up in the Orange Bowl, OU is, is going to win this game. Um, and so this is why I was so discouraged watching it. Lee, I felt, I felt Alabama's offense uh, struggled in the game because Tua was just plainly awful. That's, why they, that's the only reason why they were bad. He missed, he missed tons of wide-open throws. Their receivers had... had a, a really odd amount of drops where there weren't a whole lot of people around them. Um, Alabama just played very poorly on offense. Um, I, 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 you know, Georgia did get some pressure on Tua during the game. When I was watching it live, I thought that was odd considering that going into that game, Georgia you know, was last in the SEC in sacks. Georgia's actually sacked the quarterback less than year, uh, less this year than OU has. Um, so I wanted to go in and rewatch and see how did Georgia get pressure on, on Tua and Lee, it was it was all coverage. It, it really wasn't any. They weren't really blown up. Alabama's offensive line. They just Georgia's no, yeah. really good secondary. They were coverage sacks. That's all. They, they always were. seem to have five players rushing though, too. Like Georgia always seemed to have like an extra guy rushing. Yeah, like, I also like a delayed kind of. I found it because they they trusted their guys in coverage. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I found it slightly curious too how much Georgia was in their base three four. Also, that surprised me. Well, Georgia. Uh, I, I guess I, I didn't watch close enough to really because, again, that side of the matchup I just was not interested in because I just don't see any similarities between Georgia's defense and Oklahoma's defense. But, um, yeah, I, I did notice, though, it really seemed like when Alabama knew, OK, we got to do something here. They just ran the football and Alabama was able to bust off some big explosive run plays. Uh, Josh Jacobs had one early in the game. It's almost like Saban got into Loxley's ear a couple times. Like, hey, two was not playing well. Like, just just run the ball. Yeah. Just that run was, the darn ball. I, I thought, um, yeah, I, I thought Alabama didn't call a very good game in the SEC championship. They they It did seem like they did have quite a bit, bit of success every single time they ran the ball. Um, yeah, Lee, Georgia was a team that, you know, surprisingly struggled defending the run this year. Um, I'll bring back S&P here. Lee, Georgia actually has a worse S&P run defense than OU has. Um, so... I, all right yeah so, yeah something that Oklahoma beat Georgia in defensively all right maybe I should have watched it a lot closer yeah Ooh, Georgia's Georgia's defense this year wasn't like a super lockdown unit they were really good at preventing big plays um, but from like a success rate standpoint um, they were I think they were 60th in the country in in defensive success rate so they gave up a uh, Georgia gave up a successful play almost 50 percent of the time this year um, so hmm. you know yeah they, they just you know they played really really good pass coverage on the back end this season that's why I say that's a I, Georgia's entire defense is made up of just their very very elite secondary so this is uh, something that I hadn't given much thought to but I'll just throw it out here just because again this is a podcast and why not this side of the ball is it's tough because I mean 
not a whole lot of evidence to suggest that Oklahoma's defense is going to be able to do much. But uh, let's throw this out there. Do we expect Jalen Hurts to have a healthy amount of packages in this game? Because obviously he came in in the SEC title game and was great. He was very good. Led Alabama to the win. Let's be honest. So I do we I mean, I guess I I'll answer my own question. I I guess I, I don't know. I mean, I I never noticed a whole lot of Jalen Hurts when I watched film of Alabama. I mean, they'd throw him in randomly, like as a wide receiver here and there, but it wasn't any serious stuff until the fourth quarter, whenever they'd bench Tua because they were up by thirty or forty points, and then Hurts would come in. So yeah, I do you? I don't know. Do you expect Jalen Hurts to play a decent amount in this game? I would say it probably depends on Tua's health. Yeah. Um, like I said, hey, I and I, I've I've sort of sensed kind of like a a lot of people, you know, maybe being on the on the opposite end of me for this. I mean, it's it is absolutely a positive for Oklahoma if Jalen Hurts is playing quarterback in this game. I will say it over and over and over again. Yes, he was outstanding in the two drives he played against Georgia. That's the best football he has he has played in college. He is not a good thrower of the football. Can we just say that he is not? People need to remember last year. He is not a plus thrower of the football. He is not an accurate passer. That would I mean, be very good for why Oklahoma. He got, there's a reason why he got benched in the national title game last yes. year. Um, here's a, here's a, a weird hypothetical. Like, <laughs> what if ever, like, I mean, everyone thought everything came full circle in the SEC title game when he came in for Tua and one. What if it truly does come full, full circle and Tua struggles again and Hurts comes <laughs> Hertz comes in in the playoff and ends up leading Bama again to a win because because two actually is not playing well. That would just be it would be just tragic to be on the other side of that one. Just to say people uh, you know, there was people need to kind of remember how at the end of last season, sort of how limited Alabama's offense was. They had all these same receivers. All these same receivers. So And I believe Loxley I think Loxley was there. I don't I don't think this was his Loxley's first year as the offensive coordinator, I don't believe. The double check. So that. I it's the, the people saying that I, I've even seen some talking heads on ESPN say that there's really not much difference for Alabama in this game, but whether Tua or Jalen Hurt starts. That is patently insane. Insane. Tua, Tua is just is is so much better than Jalen Hurts. People need to just, people need to wake up. It's just, it's just yeah. it's moronic. Moronic. All right, Loxley was a co-offensive coordinator a season ago at Alabama, so he wasn't the full-time guy. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, Tua Tungle-Vailoa is is awesome. I mean, he's a he's a great player, and again, yeah, there's a reason why Hertz got benched against Georgia last year, and there's a reason why Tua was able to to make enough plays in that game to help Alabama win the national championship. And there's a reason why he, he would have won the Heisman Trophy this season if it wasn't for Kyler Murray having a slightly better year and having maybe the best year ever for a quarterback in college football. OU's defense, as we've said multiple times, not expected to do a whole lot against Alabama. However, Grant, the Sooners have been randomly opportunistic the past couple of games against Texas and West Virginia and to some extent against Oklahoma State if you want to go all the way back to that game you know forcing that Chuba Hubbard fumble in the fourth quarter remember that so keeping all of this in mind and also keeping in mind that Oklahoma's faced already some really good offenses in the Big 12 this season is it kind of nice to know that the Sooners probably aren't going to be 
surprised by anything they see from Alabama's offense? Yeah, I think there's something to that, but at the same time, this you know this Alabama offense I think still is by far the best they've seen this year. Um, yeah, like by I mean by by just like a wide wide margin. But yeah, sure. If you're if you're gonna say they're they they're they're gonna be used to giving up a ton of huge plays and touchdowns, then yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this doesn't phase them. It's a, hey, we've seen this before. No, yeah, I, there, I guess the there is yeah, something to that. There is something to that. I I do. I, I think I think there is something to the theory. What happens, you know, if it's if it's, you know, all of a sudden the end of the the close to the end of the third quarter and this game's being played in the forties, and Alabama starts to get kind of the yips a little bit because they've never had to do that before. I don't know. It, that it could be an overblown storyline. I'm just saying it's interesting to me. <laughs> it is interesting. Gosh, I just had a point that I was going to bring up that I now I can't remember what it was. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, yeah. It, oh, yeah, I remember now. The reason I bring this up, too, it's interesting, but also a season ago against Georgia, you know, Georgia was more of a ground and pound. We're bigger and stronger than you. We're going to overpower you. And I'm not saying that Alabama can't do that because Alabama and their run game certainly can do that when they want to do that. So uh, Alabama is incredibly dynamic with everything. But, you know, Oklahoma going up against an offense that wants to spread it out more and throw it a lot more. It's just different than what what. Uh, Georgia presented a season ago and so again but again it's 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 Oklahoma's defense and it, it just even against they've seen teams like this a lot doesn't matter they've still given up a lot of points and yards so uh just wanted to kind of bring that up let's play the how many stops game and I think the when was the last time we did this against West Virginia maybe probably how many stops yeah how many stops does Oklahoma's defense need to get to win the game <laughs> All right, so I got some numbers on this, and I don't know if I should say these numbers first or if you want to give me your answer to how many stops. Do, do you want to hear the numbers first before you give your answer or or other way around? I, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants here. Give me, give me the numbers first. All right, so here <laughs> I pulled numbers from Alabama games this year against bad defenses, defenses that are probably pretty similar to Oklahoma's defense on a uh, on a yards per play basis because again I'm a yards per play guy that's what I wanted to go for so I found four teams in the SEC on on Bama's schedule that are kind of similar uh, by the way right now yards per play Oklahoma's allowing six yards per play which is even worse than it was last year at this time I mean it's just not great so the the four teams that Alabama faced that kind of compare on a yards per play basis allowed to Oklahoma Ole Miss Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Tennessee. So in those four games against Ole Miss, Ole Miss got four stops total in the game. Four. Two of those stops came in the fourth quarter during garbage time when Alabama was just running the ball every single play with a bunch of backups in, didn't care. So essentially when the game actually mattered, Grant, Ole Miss got two stops against Alabama, lost the game 62-7. to Texas A&M. The Aggies got six stops in that game. All right. All right. We talked extensively about this game a couple of podcasts ago. A&M lost 45-23. Out of those six stops, though, Grant, two of the six stops came when Jalen Hurts came into the game in the fourth quarter when it was a double-digit 20-plus point lead for Alabama. So with Tua in the game, A&M was able to stop Alabama four times. Arkansas. (laughs) Arkansas got... One stop against Alabama, (laughs) 
and lost the game 65 to 31. Tennessee finally got four stops against Alabama. Two of those stops came late in the game with Jalen Hurts. So with Tua in the football game, Tennessee stopped Alabama just twice, lost the football game 58 to 21. I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's just uh, the Arkansas one stop just made me die when I when I looked that up. I, oh god, they got one stop. So in those four games with Tua in the game, let's see, there was two, four, six, seven, nine total stops with Tua in the game uh, against four opponents. Uh, I'm not gonna do the math there because you could do like how many stops per game is that or percentage. Anyways. I, these teams are not stopping Alabama, Grant. So with all that information now, <laughs> how many stops does Oklahoma need to get in this game to win? Six. And uh, at least at so least the, So the same amount as yeah, Texas A&M. Yeah, do you remember when I said, I, I said if, if OU's defense can play like Texas A&M, OU can win the game. Like that's the, because I thought Texas A&M did just enough to make Alabama earn it a little more. Um, and I think, and there were times in that game where A and M's offense were just ap- was absolutely atrocious, um, and you know, presumably that's that's you know, not going to be as much of a problem for Oklahoma's offense. So there's just going to be a lot more pressure um, put on Alabama by that side of the ball. Um, but yeah, I'm going to say six stops, Lee, and I think at least two of them need to be massive momentum changing stops. So turnover a big missed field goal or a blocked field goal, something like that. But, yeah, they're, they're going to have to make some some large momentum swinging plays. So right now, I've done this before, but I forgot. I'm looking up how many stops Oklahoma got a year ago in the Rose Bowl because I'm pretty sure in the first half against Georgia, OU got something like six stops. Okay, I have it now. In the first half against Georgia in the Rose Bowl, Oklahoma got one, two, three okay three punts and then Georgia missed a field goal so technically they got four stops in the first half against Georgia in the second half against Georgia Oklahoma got one two three four stops in the fourth quarter and of course one of those was um, the fumble six so they got points so in in four quarters of play against Georgia Oklahoma got eight stops and actually and also had a touchdown on one of those stops the reason I bring all that up is I think Oklahoma needs more than six stops in this game, Grant, which seems impossible. I think Oklahoma's going to need the same amount of stops they got against Georgia in regulation. Oklahoma needs to stop Alabama eight times to win this game. They need to get eight stops. Well, you also you, you also need to you need to account for the fact that Georgia scored like had like three drives where they scored on like one play. So okay, so I mean, well, because that just that makes the game longer. So that just that increases possessions. Oh. So I'm just, oh, okay. And and that really was the huge problem for OU's defense last year was explosive plays. OU's been quite a bit better in that this year. They've just been they've just been gashed for, you know, five, six, seven yards every play this year. They haven't the the massive huge play hasn't been as, you know, big of a problem this year. Yeah, I just I, the reason I say eight stops, I just I I have a sneaking suspicion that Oklahoma's just it's it's not gonna be as successful this year against this elite SEC defense than the Sooners were last year with Baker Mayfield against Georgia. I just I just have a feeling this Alabama defense is going to have more success, so that's why I, they, they need to get more stops than you think because I I just have this feeling that 
Oklahoma's offense is going to move the ball, and they're but they're also going to go through stretches where Bama is is kind of whipping them. That's just that's that's just kind of my feeling right now. All right, so that was a fun game. Anything else on this matchup between the Oklahoma defense and the Alabama offense? I know we have weren't really as in depth from this one, but still, it's just it's a tough matchup. Uh, just, Anything you know, else you want to add? Neville Gallimore's got to play the best game of his career. The same goes for Imani Bledsoe, and honestly, the same goes for pretty much everybody on the defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Let's talk about special teams. We didn't talk a whole lot of special teams all season long, frankly. Early on in the season against Florida Atlantic and against UCLA when Oklahoma was blocking puns and making you know big kick returns and punt returns, we were excited about Shane Beamer and man, man, man. But outside of uh, Austin Seibert being really solid for the most part all season long, the special teams has, has not been bad, but it's not been like eye-poppingly good like it was the first couple of games. So... Uh, you think back to the Rose Bowl last year. Again, uh, it was a big factor, special teams was, especially after halftime when Georgia was able to pin Oklahoma deep in its own territory on multiple kickoffs. Statistically, Alabama special teams is not very good. And I'll pause here, Grant, if you have those numbers from uh, S&P. Do you have any S&P stats that you'd like to to bring up that uh, tell us the story about Alabama's sure. Lee, this special is the teams? One, you know, this is the one decisive unit advantage that Oklahoma has in this game. Uh, per S&P, Lee, uh, OU has the 32nd best special teams unit in college football. Lee, Alabama is at 93rd in the country in that, and a lot of that has to do with their kicking game. They just have a really inefficient kicking game. Um, so, And also, too, I, I, I've read some uh, kind of some like scouting report uh, stories that some outlets have done, and we're like, you know, anonymous coaches have, have said that this is by far like Alabama's worst team in, in terms of special teams. Um, so... I don't know, Lee. I, with that, if if that really is your only massive, you know, decisive advantage in this game in terms of units, you need to aggressively attempt to exploit it. Do you not? No. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just quite, the question is where do they try to exploit it? I, exactly. Exactly. And that's where you know because if you I, say the the problem is the kicking game, I mean, okay, I mean, there's not really much you can do there. I mean, either they're going to make their field goal or miss their field goal. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm more thinking like I don't know, uh, fake punts, huh. catching them off guard with like an onside kick or yeah, something. Yeah, but we saw a fake punt running it against Alabama in that SEC title game, and they were more than ready for it. It was a yeah. Terrible that's because fake punt. that's that's because they put out their base defense. It was just it was that was that was a 100 percent a referendum on Kirby Smart being an idiot in that situation. That was so dumb. Like I, I'm sorry, but they, they they came out in their base defense. You, you don't run a fake punt against a base defense. I think they had a, a guy back deep, though. Yeah, they had one guy deep, but other than that, they yeah. were in their base yeah. defense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to mention, what was the story? Like that was the first time Justin Fields has ever been on punt team. So it was like just yeah. Like a so big it's like oh, flashing. Oh, there might be light. something going on here, guys. Yeah, and that's just so, that's I don't a whole know, other just, thing about how I a couple times in that SEC title game they just brought Justin Fields in. And nothing ever worked, and it just kind of ruined Georgia's offensive flow, it seemed like. I mean, it just it didn't make any sense to bring him into the game a couple times, but that's a total sidebar point. Okay, so, yeah, I, I mean, kicking, I mean, Austin Seibert, you know, he's better than what they've done at Alabama with Bolivis. Um, Jalen Waddell, though, returning punts is statistically one of the best punt returners in the nation, Grant. He's averaging over 15 yards per punt return, and, of course, C.D. Lamb is – is up there too, but he's he's averaging something like thirteen and a half yards per punt return. So, I mean, returning punts seems to be the strength of Alabama's special teams. <laughs> better not punt then. I hate punting. Screw that. Just go for it on fourth yeah, down better, every time. Just, let's just not punt. Let's just yeah. Oh, you just don't punt. Yeah. 
Oh, they will. I well, I, that, I guarantee you that if they're that that I I really hope they're aggressive going forward on fourth down in this game. They have to be. They 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 got to leave all yeah. the chip like they they they, yeah. they 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 cannot leave any bolts in the chamber in this one. Yeah, they know it. I mean, field goals aren't going to beat Alabama. I mean, yeah, I will be. God, I'll be. I'll be so pissed if they have to kick field goals in this game, unless it's like a game-winning field goal. Yeah. So, um, all right, yeah, we're we're there. We're there to the uh, the moment that everyone's been waiting for. What we want to see happen in this game, and what will happen in this game. The whole the last almost month, Grant, has built up to this moment. Let's see. Let's. Uh, we haven't talked about this at all. How, how should we do this? Who should go first? Who should go second? Um, do you have any preferences? I mean, I got. I'll go first. I, I got a whole. Go th- okay, so we'll. Do you want to go first with what you want to see half happen, or both, or either one? Am I thinking too much about this? Or do we want to switch off, just like with with one thing? Let's switch off. That might be more fun. Just so we don't we just so we don't double up. All know? right. So and like if, if if we have the same things, then we can just add on to what we say. All right. So here's what we'll do. I'll go first with what I want to see have happen. Then you'll go, and then you'll lead us off with the. Oh wait, no. You said you don't want to double up. Okay. Wait. What do you mean by double up? Well, I mean like, what if what if we're both thinking the same thing? It's kind of it's, oh. it's, it's lame to say the same thing. That's why I want to say which which actually kind of happens every now and then. So sure. All right. Well, I think we're probably overthinking this. I'll just go ahead and start with this. So what do you want to see happen in this game? And if you're new to the podcast, first of all, thanks for listening. We appreciate the support. If you're an Alabama fan who just came across the podcast and wants to hear the Oklahoma side, thanks for listening. Here's the part of the show where we basically say what we want to see happen in this game. And obviously, it's always we want to see Oklahoma win, but we're just going to dive in more more of a detailed look about certain matchups, certain players, things like that. What, what we kind of want to see happen based on what we've watched on film and just kind of how things have, have progressed. So for me, I'd like to see Oklahoma's defense not get thoroughly embarrassed. And yes, I'm going to start this segment on the defensive side for Oklahoma. I'd like to see the front four for Oklahoma play well and limit the Bama run game a little bit. They're not going to stop the run. That's unrealistic, I think. But slowing the run game. I think that's possible. Avoid a scenario where just whenever Alabama is maybe not feeling itself and they're just like, okay, we, we need some yards here. We need to get some yards. Avoid the scenario where Alabama can just easily hand it off to one of their three really good running backs and just easily pick up the conversion here and there. Avoid that. I also want to see Trey Norwood play better in this game than he played in the Big 12 title game at safety. He's had nearly a month of practice at a new position, and I'm again, I'm assuming he'll continue to play safety because we saw him play that in the Big 12 title. So after a month, nearly a month of practice at a new spot, I'd like to see him look even better in this game than he did against Texas because for the most part against Texas, in a short, you know, a quick turnaround playing a new position, he was, he was good. He was fine. I want to see some surprisingly healthy players come back and contribute on defense. You know, thinking of guys that we haven't seen in quite some time, maybe like Jordan Parker, Justin Broyles, maybe. And what about Chance Sylvie? I saw a picture of him in practice in a helmet going through practice uh, that Oklahoma posted a couple days ago. So it looks like he's practicing. That'd be that'd be something over to the offensive side. I want to see Kyler Murray play the best game of his season and I guess his career because he hasn't had a whole lot of starting experience I want to have Oklahoma then win and then I want to see Kyler Murray play an even better game in the national championship I want to see 
Marquise Brown looks surprisingly fast. Now I have a difficult time believing he's going to be able to cut on a dime and be as shifty as he normally is. But if he can provide a little speed here and there, that's better than nothing. I want to see the Oklahoma offensive line play even better against Alabama than Georgia's offensive line did. The Oklahoma O-line won the Joe Moore Award for a reason. Go out there and show the world why you are better than the other Joe Moore Award finalists, Alabama and Georgia. And finally, what I want to see happen, I want to see Lincoln Riley call a fantastic game and in a way exercise those demons from the Rose Bowl a season ago. We talked all about how the only way that Rose Bowl loss can be a positive is if that horrible feeling and that horrible loss serves as a learning experience for Lincoln Riley that he can kind of take with him throughout his career. He's back in the playoff against another elite SEC defense. I want to see Riley continue to grow as a coach and as a play caller and lead the Sooners to their first playoff victory. Grant, what do you want to see happen? Oh, well done, Lee. All right, I'll get a little more specific, and I'll start with the defensive line because you did kind of take some of mine. Um, Lee, on Alabama sure does like to run their RPOs with Tua. I want to see the defensive line get their paws up, and I want to, I want to see them do it as much as humanly possible. Um, we've seen Amani Bledsoe have some have some success with that this year. They do have some length on the defensive line. Get your hands up, knock the ball down. I think that is a that's going to be a big deal. Uh, another thing, Lee, I, I would love to see an eighty to eighty five percent healthy Tua. That sounds great. Um, I oh, just said it on yeah. the podcast. If 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 let's let's say just in theory, the reason that Tua was so limited and looked so bad in the SEC title game was because he wasn't healthy. Let's let's just assume that's true. And the same Tua shows up in this game. Oh, he's going to win this game. They are. Tua was that bad in the SEC title game. Um, was was that inaccurate with with a lot of his throws? I would love to see that again. Um, what's more, Lee, I, I would really like to see some some interesting blitzes to try to get Tua uh, to to scramble out of the pocket to his non-dominant side. I still kind of want to see him do that more often. Um, I, I in the tape that I watched, I really feel like teams didn't try to pressure him enough. Now I know that's a tall order. That's a really good offensive line. But I would really like to see after a month. I would like to see something creative, something that Alabama is not. Uh, necessarily just not expecting um, because OU is just not a defense that blitzes a lot and they're not going to put a lot of that stuff on tape so there's an opportunity there to surprise Alabama and I think you're going to have to do that to break serve in this game Alabama is going to have a lot of success moving the ball but can Oklahoma just be opportunistic can they make a play can they get their hand on a on, on a ball to tip it up and someone can come and pick it off can they get some fumble luck um, can Alabama's special teams and their their field goal miscues can those pop up I really want to see that that's that's what Oklahoma needs in this game and I I just I think if 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 a lot of that stuff starts to go you know starts to go wrong for Alabama I think other things can unravel because that's just how big games work like this and you know Alabama of course just was in you know a high leverage situation against Georgia but that's still not something they're necessarily used to over the course of this season um we'll see on offensively I want to see Carson Meyer, Lee Morris, and Grant Calcaterra be the guys who move the chains for OU because I think that's what they're going to have to do it. I think they have a distinct matchup advantage with their receivers and their tight ends against Alabama's linebackers who I perceive, honestly, as just okay to below average in coverage. And I think that is something that they can exploit. 
What's more, um, I I would love to see some wrinkles from Lincoln Riley. I think we're probably going to see a lot of Kyler-centric RPOs where maybe they give a scramble look or maybe that draw look and they throw off of it. I think that's something they might do a lot. Um, I really think they're gonna. there's going to be a game plan there that they're going to try to draw Alabama's safeties in with Kyler's legs um, and then throw some sort of pop pass on top of that. I think that's something that we're likely going to see. Um, and then other than that, Lee, I, I really want to see them get the running game going a little bit, mostly with Kyler. I think he's going to be the one who drives the bus with the run game because he has that ability to keep it on the back end, to hold that back end defender, which what which is what gives OU the numbers advantage a lot of the time. Now, this Oklahoma offensive line, Lee, is a little different. They do like their zone blocking schemes. A lot of what they do is about angles and athleticism, which makes this quite a bit different with Alabama. Alabama is going to want to try to beat you up front with brute force and strength. Oklahoma's offensive game plan and their scheme is built to combat that. So I think this is just a really, really interesting philosophical difference between these offenses. Um, And I just want to see that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line show how athletic they are and how much they understand the scheme and what they want um, to open up some running lanes for Kennedy Brooks and also Trey Sermon. And Lee, just last but not least, I want to see Austin Seibert hitting a game-winning field goal. The first game-winning field goal, <laughs> really, in my memory, like in OU football. Because it has not happened in this new generation of OU football, which started in 1999. We still have not had a game-winning field goal at the, at the buzzer. Almost had one against Army this year. <laughs> but we, we, uh, we of, of course, Seibert missed. And, but, man, I think it would just be, it'd be cool. That's what I would like to see. Very well done. Very well done. So Alabama, as we record this, is still, the last I checked, a 14-point favorite in this game. The over-under, 76.5. So I believe it opened in the 80s. So I think the over-under may have gone down a bit. I could be wrong about that, though. I, I want to say it opened up. That doesn't matter. So this is the point of the show. What's going to happen in this game? What will happen in this game? You know what? I'll go first here because it sounds like, Grant, you've prepared pretty darn well for this podcast, so I'll commend you for that. So have I. I think we both probably have some pretty good closing comments on what will happen, so I'll get the ball rolling because you just talked for quite a bit. Let you rest. Here we go. Over the last four weeks, I've compiled a list of Orange Bowl concerns and Orange Bowl optimism. Here's what I've got on my list on the optimism side. Number one. Bama plays a lot of press man, which may open up opportunities for Kyler Murray to run the ball with defenders' backs to him. Number two, Alabama hasn't seen an offense anywhere near this good or a quarterback anywhere near this good. Number three, OU's defense we know is not good, but it's used to playing offenses like Alabama's, and they're used to seeing offenses that have the same kind of philosophy as Alabama. End of list. Now to the Orange Bowl concerns list. Number one, and this has been up there ever since the Big 12 title game, Marquise Brown, his health. Number two, Kyler Murray, he won the Heisman Trophy. Now Alabama's whole entire team is just extra motivated because their boy Tua lost. Number three, OU has not seen a defense anywhere near this good all season long. And last year, Oklahoma had seen multiple high-level defenses before playing in the Rose Bowl against Georgia. Number four, Kyler Murray, still only his one year as a starter. 
Not much game experience compared to Baker Mayfield coming into the Rose Bowl last year. And number five, Murray potentially being satisfied with a Big 12 title, a Heisman Trophy, and a playoff appearance. And I know that last concern cuts against what I've been saying about Kyler Murray for the past year. I've always said Murray's been a guy that has one goal, and that's to win a national championship. And a bunch of other ancillary things I don't want to go into right now. You can listen back to other podcasts. You know, Obviously, he still wants to win a national championship, but could there be some part of his unconscious that is just satisfied with what he's done up to this point, and he's good? We don't know. Alabama Grant is going to win this football game. And the thing about football is, while offense has been evolving for years and improving, elite-level defense and elite-level talent is going to still win out. That's because it's really difficult to consistently score points on a defense that's really good for 60 full minutes. Oklahoma is going to move the football. It's going to score points against Alabama. But the Crimson Tide defense is too good not to get stops as well. They just will because it's incredibly difficult to make the right play calls every single snap and even for Kyler Murray to make the right decision on every single snap. And on the flip side, Oklahoma's defense is not going to get enough stops. It just won't. We talked about it moments ago. Defenses in the SEC that are similar to Oklahoma flat out could not stop Alabama on a consistent basis. Why all of a sudden is Oklahoma's offense, Oklahoma's defense rather, going to stop Alabama? There's no evidence to suggest that. I do think it's kind of interesting that that Oklahoma defense is used to facing offenses that kind of look like Alabama's. But again, that doesn't mean Oklahoma can stop the tide. I mean, Oklahoma's used to seeing all these Big 12 offenses and the offenses in the Big 12 are still gashing the Sooners over and over and over again. For the second straight season, and you could argue the third straight season, Oklahoma's defense is going to cost them a national championship. Not that Lincoln Riley needs it, but if he still does, this will be the final piece of evidence that he absolutely must get a defensive coordinator that can change the culture and get this defense to a position where it's not a laughing stock of college football. Big 12 teams are never going to play elite defense. It's just not going to happen in that conference. But Big 12 teams are capable of playing solid defense. And Oklahoma doesn't play anything close to that. When you fail so miserably on one side of the football, you don't win playoff games, and you don't win national championships. And guess what? You don't deserve to win those games. Now, I was certain the Sooners would beat Georgia last year. Despite Oklahoma's poorest defense, I was certain that Oklahoma was going to get that win. Frankly, Georgia's offense was a lot more predictable and less explosive than Alabama's current offense. Didn't matter. Georgia dominated Oklahoma's defense after halftime, save for the fumble six. Again, Alabama's favored by two touchdowns, 14 points. I think from a gambling perspective, this game is Alabama or pass. I could see Oklahoma scoring four to five touchdowns, but Alabama's going to score more. I'll take the tide to win this game, 52 to 28. I think all it takes is Alabama's defense to catch Oklahoma in a bit of a funk for two to three straight possessions. Bama then goes up by two or more touchdowns, and the Sooners can't recover because Oklahoma's defense can't get a stop when it needs to. I was wrong about last year's playoff game, and I hope I'm wrong about this playoff game as well. Grant? Well-reasonedly. Good job. 
I thought you, you I thought you did a really good job of of just kind of going over like the case for Alabama and it's 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 a very very open and shut tight case. Let's be completely honest about this game. On paper, this is a game that Alabama should win and probably should win by that 14 point spread. I think that's about right. Alabama has proven over the course of this season to be a more talented, better football team. I think that's objectively true and I think a vast majority of, of Oklahoma fans would, would likely agree with that. Alabama is the better team. They are. Having that been said, you know, or not having that been said. So that means, Lee, if you were to pick Oklahoma in this game, let's just call it what it would be. It's a guess, right? It's yeah. a complete guess. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, throwing. You're, it's, it's, you're trying very hard. Yeah. You're, it's, you're throwing something against the wall to be different, and it's not really based on any sort of evidence of what we've seen so far. Um, it'd be based on hope. It'd be based, like I said, on a guess. So I'll do that. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Um, I have, you know, I. this has been a really weird season for me as an OU fan. I have not had a good grip on this team whatsoever. Um, I think a month ago after they won the Big 12 title, I told all of you that um, over the last two months, I've just been waiting for the, you know, for the final, you know, for the final bullet in the head of this team, so we can finally just write, you know, uh, uh, write the postmortem of this season. They they keep proving me wrong every single time, and yes, I understand that they're not playing against Alabama in these games. This just feels different for some reason. I don't feel like this all the time. I have a I just have a weird feeling in this game. It's not scientific. That's just how I feel. I think Oklahoma's gonna win. And I think I, I, I think it's gonna be in a way that none of us are expecting. And I think they're probably gonna play a lot better than we anticipate. And if you're asking me right now, I, I think Tua might revert back to how he looked in the SEC championship game. I think I think that that is that is OU's only chance of winning this game. So I'll say it. That's what's gonna happen. Oh, he's going to win this game. Austin Seibert's going to hit a game-winning field goal. Final score is going to be 44-41. to 41. At this time, I must remind West of Everest listeners who may have not listened to the podcast in the 2017 season that Grant picked Georgia to beat Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. All right, we've got some Facebook questions to, get to, uh, to still get to in this one. But before we do that, let me encourage all of you to leave us a five-star rating and or review on iTunes if you haven't so far. And let's be candid here. If you're still listening this far into the show, you like this podcast. This is one of your favorite podcasts. So you might as well leave us some feedback, some some love. Uh, of course, we're also on Twitter, at Lee Benson News 9, also at Grant Benson 25. Like the show on Facebook. Facebook is where you can ask us questions or leave some comments, uh, just like these people here did as we get more into the Facebook questions. So here we go. Philip. Philip says, "I know you all will see. Uh, you, I know you all will do you, what you want to see happen and what you think will happen." But Philip says, "I want to hear what your gut is telling you. What's your gut instinct on what will happen tomorrow?" Well, Philip, I think Grant just answered that question for you. Would you agree with that, Grant? Yep. Philip, my gut, as much as I, as much as I really want to say the same thing, I, I want to be like, I just have a feeling I. My gut's telling me that my gut's telling me exactly what I said and what will happen. My gut's telling me that Alabama annoyingly is going to win this game comfortably. 
That's what my gut's telling me. And again, I use the word annoyingly because I just it's I'm so tired of it. Alabama's so darn good. Oklahoma's got a, an elite, historically good offense. So does Alabama, frankly. And it's just Alabama's got an elite defense and Oklahoma doesn't. And it's just it sucks that this is where we are as Oklahoma supporters that we year in and year out have to see, at least in the last few years with Mayfield and with Riley there, we have to see these offenses that are so good and are doing things that nobody else in the SEC is doing against Alabama and the Georgias. And now Alabama, to some extent, is doing it with their offense. We're seeing this, and yet it doesn't matter because the defense for Oklahoma just cannot get stops, cannot stop teams consistently. So, uh, unfortunately, my gut is telling me that it's going to be a comfortable win for Alabama. Can, can I expand, Lee? Also, you know, just because this is about what our gut is telling us, so I don't, I don't need to, I don't really need to live in any sort of realm of facts or or anything like that. It's just a, all about my gut. There's a reason I started this show off talking about the 2003 team, Lee. That was um, a. By the way, I haven't said that yet. That was a, a good take. I like that. That was a good yeah. the parallels um, of that of those teams. I just, you know, I guys, I love OU football. It's it's just you know. Outside of my wife and and my family, it's it's my favorite thing on planet Earth, by far. And I I just I don't know. So I, I start I started with the 2003 team because I just I I feel like it's an omen. It's an omen. This has happened before. This has happened to Oklahoma before. They were the best team ever until they weren't. And and like I said, you know, this is um, and just what everything that happened last year with. Baker Mayfield and I think we all thought that last year was going to be the year and I think in our wildest dreams I don't think any of us could have really expected Kyler Murray to do what he's done this year and I know I know past results and and weird things happening does not mean that it's going to happen again but I just my gut tells me we have like a T Martin situation going on here wait what what (laughs) like a team well so Peyton Manning was you know, was the quarterback oh. at Tennessee for four years and he didn't win the Heisman yeah, Trophy. Okay. He should have and, you know, um, had such a great season and they never won a national championship with him. And then the year after he leaves, T. Martin wins the national title with Tennessee just out of nowhere. Yeah. I know it's a okay. completely di- – I. that's just – it's what my gut is telling me. That's all. I know this is not – this is – a lot of this is based off fantasy and, and wish fulfillment of what I want to happen. Um, well, Grant – that's just – for whatever reason, that's just, that's just kind of how I feel this time around. Phillips got another question for us. Do you believe in Sooner Magic? It sounds like a you lot might. Of, I think a lot of people will be after Saturday night. Uh, so I'm just, I'm taking the role as the buzzkill of this podcast. I do not believe in Sooner Magic. That just That's goes fine. back it's to the I, superstition stuff. And it's oh, just, okay. Well, no, I don't believe in superstition. That was me just just trying to say a good line. No, I'm not. I'm not but, attacking you. I'm just saying in general, like the whole Sooner Magic thing is it's fun for a T-shirt and for a thing, but no, I. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't, you kind I don't of, think anyone. I don't think anyone actually believes there's some mystical force that is <laughs> that is always in favor of OU. Uh huh. That's what I get. That's what people tell me. It's real. All right, we have one more question left, and uh, it's kind of just for fun. Dakota isn't this, and and Lee also. I got to bring this up. Isn't it? Isn't it just? Isn't it just wonderful how we how it's just a reversal of roles? Whereas last year you were the really optimistic one, and I was the buzzkill. Mm-hmm. And now we've totally flipped. Well, you never know what you're going to get from this podcast, but. Let's be frank here. I mean, I'm way smarter than you, so take that for what's worth. (laughs) That was rude. When it comes to football, that was rude. Uh, We have one more Facebook question, and if you all were listening to our last podcast, I think it was the last one, maybe two podcasts ago. I don't know. We 
we're talking about Jermaine Gresham. And we randomly brought up that our mom met Jermaine Gresham. And Dakota wants to know what happened. He wants to hear that story about <laughs> about mom meeting Jermaine Gresham. So uh, I, I, I'll do my best to tell it. Uh, it's not a whole lot to it. Essentially, uh, our mom went to a wedding that was actually at... Uh, this is going to actually sound pretty cool to a lot of you. It was actually at Owen Field at Oklahoma Stadium. And they had the wedding reception uh, in one of those you know cool, like, sweet level press levels. I can't remember exactly which one. It is. I think it might be the place where we always go to media availability on Mondays for Riley and all those guys. It's a real cool area if you've ever been up there. And that was where the, re- the reception was. And I guess Jermaine Gresham was a part of the wedding. He was in the wedding. And... So, so of course, my mom had no idea who Jermaine Gresham was. And so, like, there's pictures on our on my mom's refrigerator from the wedding of her and Jermaine Gresham, like, doing the photo booth stuff, like, in the group. And uh, so she sent a text to both of us one random day with just a picture or actually multiple pictures. And we look at it and it's mom with, like, other people, like, and the Jermaine Gresham, like, smiling and like hugging her and stuff and it was just like the funniest picture she had no I- she had no idea that he was even an OU football player I don't no think. idea he's, we said she's yeah she just sent it to us randomly to let us know what she had been up to and I think we both commented like uh what are you doing with Jermaine Gresham and then I think she replied she replied and she said that's my new friend Jermaine <laughs> so yeah it was uh pretty hilarious that uh <laughs> that that uh, our mom uh, apparently is, is just best friends now with uh, Jermaine Gresham. And uh, then you follow that up with that random story, I think, last football season of Jermaine Gresham, like, helping out some random girl, like, paying for her flight or something like that. And it's just he's he's clearly just a very nice person. He's a very good guy. And uh, I've heard nothing. That's like that's what I've heard about him over the years. So so that's the story, Dakota. I hope that was satisfying for you. Uh, it, it's not the greatest story, but uh, it, incredibly, it definitely was random. Boy, this is a this is a long. I'm glad we did this, Grant, because we were able to go long. We were not uh, constrained by time. We're done. Uh, any other thoughts you'd like to add about? Yes. Oh, you- I cannot. I cannot end this podcast without even without mentioning the cheese it bowl last night. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I just I, I know I know, but I, I just have to say it because. Lee, I, I've never laughed harder watching a football game in my entire life. I was sitting in bed having a having like a laugh attack while my wife was trying to sleep watching the game. I after uh after Grayson Mulestein Lee threw his fourth <laughs> interception of the first half. <laughs> I I sent you the text that said and I was not even joking. I I, I believe this to be true. I said the TCU quarterback playing right now for them <laughs> is legitimately the worst college football player of all time. At guys, at the time he was four of sixteen for ten yards, zero touchdowns, and four picks. And they they were awful picks. One of them one of them was on like a busted um was on a busted trick play where they did like a double reverse pass where they did a bunch of throwbacks. Well, when Grayson Mulestein threw it back to Jalen Rager, it was picked off and nearly returned for a touchdown. And then and then later in the first half, they were in the red zone and he passed up an easy first down with his legs to uh, to throw a ball into triple coverage, which was picked <laughs> off. And the best part about it was he threw it three yards past the line of scrimmage. 
so yeah. he had he had like he had already tried to sort of run for it but got three yards past the line of scrimmage and then threw it into triple coverage and threw just a horrendous pick it was <sighs> hilarious and that's not even to mention lee cal's quarterbacks either lee cal's quarterbacks in the game they they combined to go 17 of 33 for 164 yards zero touchdowns and five picks my goodness lee the quarterbacks in this game combined for zero touchdowns and nine picks it was the worst most beautiful amazing college football game i've ever seen i laughed so hard it was so entertaining and everyone should go back and watch it if you if you want a good laugh i had to bring it up and not to mention the game almost ended on a pick six. Oh, it should have that would have been so much better that that would have like if that would have happened, that's I, I think you I think you ironically have to put that on ESPN Classic for forever, right? If that would have happened, oh yeah, as, as literally just the worst played game of all time. God. Like I, I know I know what was that game? What was the SEC game like a decade ago that ended three to two? I think this Mississippi had, this, State and somebody probably Kentucky or something. This had to have been worse. This game was just a disaster, but it was beautiful. And TCU won, by the way. It was Auburn, Mississippi State, ended in three to two. Uh, yeah, I mean, first Big Twelve team to play TCU. Big Twelve now one and zero in bowl games. So, so I think Gary Patterson can always hang his hat on that. I started at quarterback, the worst player in college football history, <laughs> and we still won a bowl game against like a top ten defense. Cal. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the over under was something like thirty seven going into that game, and the narrative was. Two really good defenses, and we, I mean, we know about TCU's defense. It's incredibly injured, but it had been playing it's some of its best football at the end of the season. And then you got Cal, who's had a pretty good defense all season long, and two offenses that have just been unwatchable this season. And the game lived up to the hype. Oh, Lee. And you know what? I've, I've had this, uh, uh, this, this new era pinstripe bull on while we've been watching. Uh, you're going to spoil it for me? I've watched yeah, the first. Sorry. Uh, that's fine. I watched oh, the first you, quarter. I, I saw that Wisconsin was up 14-3. to three. Yeah, and then well, we started. And then we started recording the podcast. Yeah, we're in the fourth. We're in the fourth quarter now. Wisconsin's up by twenty five. So, um, anywho, Lee, this is great now because I, I watching the game. I was like, man, this sort of reminds me of last night's game, like in regards to Miami's quarterbacks. Lee, Miami's quarterbacks in this game currently we're at nine minutes remaining in this game. Over the course of this game, Lee, Miami's quarterbacks are six of seventeen for forty eight yards, zero touchdowns, and four picks. My goodness. So can we all? What is happening in college football can, right can now? Can we all just like agree and like? Is, we were. I mean, you and I. Every, we were right about Miami last year. Miami was not good last year, and this is proof. I mean, like that they have like almost everyone back. I think on that team, they had their quarterback returning. I mean, Miami 2017 might have been the luckiest team that didn't win like really an important bowl game or go, like. It's incredible that they were in the playoff hunt up until the last like weeks. God, they. They were a super lucky team all the way up to literally playing a bowl game in their a, a BCS game in their home stadium and still losing. Jeez. And then the one time when I was for sure that Miami was definitely going to get boat raced, it was against Notre Dame. And obviously Brandon Wimbush was playing quarterback for Notre Dame, but Notre Dame was a lot better last year than Miami. But Miami played its best game of the season that on that primetime game. And it was like, OK, Miami, like come on what are you you're not good and then finally it all came back when they played virginia or whatever and late in the season and lost to a bad virginia team it was uh was it virginia i thought it was pitt 
Oh, who am I thinking? Oh, who it was Vir- at Pitt. Virginia. It was at Pitt. Th- it was at Pitt the day after. Uh, oh, you know what? Virginia gave them a, a close game, but they ended up beating Virginia. I think in the end, and then yeah, they lost yeah. to Pitt. Okay, yeah, my bad. You're right. It was like yeah, I think the week before it was a close game against Virginia. Oh, the 2017 yeah. season was considerably more interesting than this one. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> it really was. Uh, and like Malik Rozier is such a bad quarterback. And, I mean, he was a bad quarterback last year, and I mean, he got his job taken this year. But apparently, the other guy's not good either. I mean. All the, all the talk coming into the year. and I mean, think back to that opening Miami-LSU game, and that win for LSU obviously now does not look as big because Miami's bad. <laughs> so, anyways, that's uh, – wow. Yeah, that's it. Um, boy, bowl season. All right, well, that does it. Thank you for listening to this massive Orange Bowl preview podcast. Grant and I will be back on either Sunday – or on Monday with reaction to this game. Hopefully, this podcast is not our final game preview podcast of the 2018 college football season. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.